the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Man, I am so excited to have John Lee Dumas on the podcast today. One of the reasons you're listening to this show is because of John Lee Dumas. More on that soon. But uh, today's episode is brought to you by My Art of Leadership Academy. We want to help you succeed as a leader, break growth barriers. And I've got something free for you, the Preaching Cheat Sheet. Go to preachingcheatsheet.com and get your copy of my 10-step preaching cheat sheet for free. And by glue, don't miss out on the opportunity to revolutionize how your church communicates. Go to get.glue.us slash texting to get free access to Glue's texting platform. Well, John Lee Dumas is somebody that came on my radar over a decade ago, and he has built the Entrepreneur on Fire franchise, along with a lot of other things. He is the founder and the host of Entrepreneurs on Fire, an award-winning podcast where he interviews inspiring entrepreneurs to help you get along in your entrepreneurial journey. His goal with Entrepreneurs on Fire is to deliver the inspiration and strategies you need to fire up your entrepreneurial journey and increase the life you dreamed of. He's also the author of The Common Path to Uncommon Success. He has interviewed over 3,000 incredible entrepreneurs, including Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Barbara Corcoran, Tim Ferriss, and many more. You can, uh, well, hear it at Entrepreneur on Fire. And the backstory is, we talk about this a little bit, he helped me get into podcasting. I joined his podcaster's paradise when I was ready to launch this show, tried to learn everything I could along the way. And uh, man, we're here in part because of John Lee Dumas. We're going to cover how to work less and make more money, the number one way to impact your audience online today, and how he grew Entrepreneur on Fire to 140 million downloads and counting. Pastors, I know how difficult it can be to keep your sermons feeling fresh and relevant, especially week after week after week after week. And maybe you're hitting writer's block or you're in a rush trying to put the finishing touches on your sermon and things don't always go as planned. Well, I've done this for years and I have created a free 10-step preaching cheat sheet for you. After decades of preaching, almost 30 years now, I've simplified my prep into a series of steps and reminders that don't get rid of inspiration, but actually just make everything else associated with it so much easier. And it'll help you produce engaging, relevant, and memorable sermons. Easy to use, 10 simple prompts with examples. You can start as early as today and have a new message ready by Sunday. So if you're ready, go to preachingcheatsheet.com and get your copy for free preachingcheatsheet.com to download your copy of the Preaching Cheat Sheet absolutely free. And my friends at Glue know that engagement is crucial for guiding people through their faith journeys and texting is the new email. That's why Glue is committed to ensuring that all churches have access to this powerful technology of SMS messaging. You're going to want to check it out. So think about adding texting to your communication strategy. So consider this. Texting has a 98% open rate. The average response time, 90 seconds. That compares to 20% for email, so it's really easy to see why texting is effective for connecting with your community. So with Glue's incredible platform, you can share important announcements, build a stronger prayer culture, welcome new visitors, keep people engaged between Sundays, and so much more right from your computer, and it's free. Takes less than five minutes to get your church's custom number, send your first text, no credit card required, Ever. Don't miss out on this. Go to get.glue.us slash texting to sign up. We'll link to it in the show notes, but here it is again, 
get.glue.us slash texting to sign up. One more thing before I dive in to my conversation with John Lee Dumas. We get into a conversation about monetizing podcasts. And what's really fascinating is he's, he's like, he charges guests to be on his show. And he's like, Carrie, you should charge. And then he says this, $10,000 to be on your show. So just so you know, I really respect and appreciate John Lee Dumas. We have never sold an interview. I have no intention to do that even if it's $10,000. I don't know. It, this is That's not the purpose of this show. So if you're wondering, did Carrie do that? And the answer is no. Uh, with all due respect, John Lee Dumas has a lot of gold in this one. So I just wanted to make that clear. It's not where we're going. But with all that said, let's dive into a fascinating conversation with a hero of mine, John Lee Dumas. John, welcome to the podcast. Carrie, fired up to be here. Thanks for having me. You are. Well, first of all, I said this privately. I want to say it publicly. Thank you so much for what you do. Uh, you were one of those handful of voices that I was listening to a decade plus ago before I got into podcasting, watched you launch Entrepreneur on Fire, join Podcasters Paradise. I remember those days well, all these people launching shows back in 2013, 2014. And here we are all these years later. So just thank you for doing that. I received that. It's been quite a journey. I definitely love helping other people get their voices and their messages out to the world. So it's definitely an honor and I appreciate your support over the years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been incredible and true gratitude. I'll tell you, I never would have guessed 27 million downloads and counting, but you know, wow. hey, here you go. I was hoping for yeah. a million one day, maybe before I died, it would be like, well, maybe a million. And uh, it just keeps keeps going Impressive. and going and going which is incredible. So how did you end up, give us the backstory. I know you've got a military background, et cetera, et cetera. You did a number of different things, but yes, yes, sir. Uh, entrepreneur on fire for the last decade, but how did you get there? How did you end up doing what you do now? I'm a boy from Maine, very small town. So I grew up kind of in that nice little homegrown environment, walking or biking down to the local park every day. You know, everybody knows your name, so to speak. And I went to college, um, still in New England, at a small mm -hmm. small school called Providence College in Rhode Island. Yeah. And I went on an Army ROTC scholarship. So post-college, I spent eight years as an officer in the U.S. Army, did four active, four in the reserves. And mixed in there was the 13-month tour of duty in Iraq um, as a tank commander. So I was in charge of 16 men in four tanks. So that definitely mm -hmm. shaped a lot of what I've done um, over the subsequent years. And when I got out of the army, I kind of felt like I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something big. So I really swung for the fences. I went to law school. I was in corporate finance. I was in commercial real estate, but none of those avenues really panned out for me. And so at 32 years old, I just started consuming as much content as I could to learn from people who had had massive success in the past. So I was reading all the business books. I was listening to all the audio books on the same topics. And I kind of stumbled into this world of podcasting, which I hadn't really heard of, to be honest. And mm -hmm. it was a very new kind of crazy, but fun world. And one thing that I really immediately fell in love with about it was it was free. It was on demand. And it was targeted content because those audiobooks at $24, $25 a pop, they were kind of adding up for somebody on a fixed budget. Yeah. So I loved the podcast world and, and and all that kind of came around that. And eventually it just became very obvious to me that there was a void in the podcasting space, that there was nobody doing 
a daily show interviewing the world's most successful entrepreneurs. And I happen to want to listen to a daily show interviewing the world's most successful entrepreneurs. So I knew there was at least an audience of one. <laughs> and I decided to be the person to launch that podcast. That podcast was Entrepreneurs on Fire back in 2012. And as you and I are talking here today, I've interviewed over 3,700 successful entrepreneurs, over Incredible. 2 million monthly listens right now, over 140 total, 140 million total listens to date. And the numbers just keep going up just like yourself. I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah, that's incredible. So, you know, we have a lot of ex-lawyers on the show, myself included. How did your background, both in the military and, you know, training in law, how did that prepare you for what you have ended up doing with the last decade of your life? So I'll start with the military because in the military, yeah. number one, you learn what it means to be disciplined because mm. it can be a matter of life and death. If you cut corners, if you aren't disciplined, if you don't train the right way, you literally could be putting yourself and then of course your soldiers, if you're an officer, in a position of injury or fatal harm. Yeah. So I realized how important discipline was. And that was kind of one of the big eye-openers for me when I joined the entrepreneurial world is there just seemed to be this unbelievable lack of discipline. So I went from this <laughs> world of like everybody around me, all my fellow officers, you know, were by ne by necessity, we were so disciplined. I just thought that was the world. But then I realized that wasn't, that was kind of a little little bubble of the world called the, the U.S. Army in a time of war. And I definitely used that discipline to my advantage starting off. And that allowed me to really create a culture, a team, and a business that was able to support a daily podcast interviewing the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Because there were people when I first was kind of pitching that idea around, you know, the, the industry saying, there's no way anybody could do a daily podcast, you know, interviewing an entrepreneur every single day, launching that business, keeping that business going. It's impossible. And I, I knew they were wrong for, sure, for mm. one. I mm -hmm. knew it was very possible, but I kind of even laugh now at how wrong they are. Because as you and I are talking right now, I run a daily podcast four hours a week. In four hours, I'm running a daily podcast. That's seven days a week. That's 365 days a year. Now, it took me a lot of hard work, time, energy, and effort to build the team to get to those four hours per week. But, you know, not only is it possible to do a daily podcast, it's possible to do a daily podcast working four hours, four days per month. Okay, we got to we got to break that down because that was part of the discipline. I remember I have a, a friend, Rich Birch, and we were watching you. I think he was he first sent me Entrepreneur on Fire, probably shortly after you launched. And he was getting into the Unseminary podcast and he's like, look, this guy's doing it like once a day. And I was like, that's insane, man. I'm trying to figure out like once a month or every other month or whatever. And I launched mine bi-weekly, two a month, and we're up to six a month. So you're obviously not doing, you know, Joe Rogan style three and a half hour interviews. You've had a very tight format. And by the way, I laughed when you said, you know, I got in the entrepreneurial world and people weren't very disciplined. You got to come hang out in church world. Okay. We can have a conversation about discipline <laughs> or the lack of it. Uh, I think sometimes we allow our spirituality to mask a lot of other things that perhaps we should be paying more attention to, but break down 
maybe the math of how that works, because I know a lot of people are probably going, ah, really, really? So how, how exactly does that work? You know, um, 30 to 28 to 31 shows a month in four hours a week. Uh, explain that. Yeah. So every Thursday I'm doing either seven or eight interviews and those interviews are in 40 minute blocks and they're back to back. So I essentially start at about 1 PM on a Thursday and by five to 6 PM, depending on how many interviews I have that day, whether it's seven or eight interviews, I'm done. I'm like, I'm done for the day. And then when I'm done, my team takes it from there. You know, I upload it to a Dropbox folder, those MP3 files, and my team does everything else. They do the editing, the splicing in of sponsorships, the show notes pages, the uploading to the media host, the social media. So there's a ton of work that does go around running a daily podcast and doing all those things that I was talking about, you know, having a website with a show notes page, having emails that go out three times per week, having social media that's that's running around it. Those are all optional, but you know, mm. I, I do want to maximize what I'm doing. So those that's all part of my team's plan. Um, but so even with me really maxing out in a lot of ways, um, every single aspect of podcasting and the promotion that goes around behind it, I'm still able to run that podcast in about four to five hours a week. That's one day. And again, I don't even start till 1 p.m. So I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I get up in the morning. I'm, I'm an early riser. Like I'm, get, yeah. I'm getting up in the morning. Usually when the sun's rising, I take my dog on a three mile walk. I come back, I make a smoothie. I'm sipping some coffee. You know, I have weight training three days a week. I'm very active in pickleball and other sports I like to play to stay active. You know, Kate and I are traveling all the time. So I'm mm-hmm. taking a three week trip trip to Japan in February and a 23 day river cruise in May throughout the entire continent of, uh, uh, Europe essentially. And it's just, um, allows me to really have this daily podcast focus with a team so that when I do take those trips, you know, maybe, you know, like next month I'll be working six days a month because I'm in preparation of that trip. But then that month that I'm gone, I'm working zero days that month. And I've actually taken um, two 75-day and one 90-day trip before where I've just gone to Europe and have, you know, pre-batched all of those episodes in advance. So I essentially, when I left, I wasn't even on a microphone for over three months, which was interesting. And, and to be honest, I missed it. Um, and I was When I got mm-hmm. back, I was excited to get back on the mic, but having the type of business that allowed me to do that was really cool to say. Yeah, that was that was my question. You must have to work ahead, right? Because we do that on this show. I take July off. I'm usually six to eight weeks off a year, which is just about right for me right now. Uh, but my team and I will work ahead. I normally do two interviews a week. You know, if you work out the rhythm, if we're doing six a month, that's uh, shipping, we're eight a month. So I work usually three months in advance, but we're going to be like ramping up, take July off or times when I'm traveling. So you batch that. But if you would, I'd like to drill down a little bit on your workflow, because I think productivity is something a lot of people struggle with. So just note to file, note to to leaders. Um, You were talking about this 11 years ago when you started Entrepreneur on Fire. Like this is, this is not new. This is like, I'm batching this stuff. I'm doing it. Was it Friday back then that you were doing it or was some day I've that you were doing it? I definitely changed the days around. Uh, for uh-huh. a while it was Friday. Then I changed it to a Monday and then I kept it there for a while. But then 
Mondays weren't working because if I went for a long weekend, like sometimes I'd still kind of be a little tired, you know, yeah. come Monday. Yeah. So I wanted to have like a buffer to get into the week a little bit. So then it was Tuesday for a while. And then I eventually just years ago settled on Thursday. I just like the fact that it's later in the week. And, um, you know, and now that I'm not starting until 1 p.m., I'm still able to like really, you know, have a very open, productive and enjoyable morning slash early afternoon before the day even starts. Hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, the, there's so many things I think we could drill down on. One of them is, <laughs> I find this too, I normally record interviews on a Wednesday and here we are on uh, a Tuesday. We're doing it a day early because we're working ahead. But it's amazing to me how many top leaders happen to be available on a Wednesday at one or three if you give them enough notice. Because one of the objections to batching things is, well, you know, this person's available Monday, this person's only available Saturday, so therefore I'm working seven days a week. How does that show up in your workflow? Do you find that 95% of people happen to be available Thursday afternoons? Yeah, if not no. higher percentage than that. And the reason for yeah. that is, is we have a very um, detailed application process. So we get mm -hmm. over 400 inbound applications per month for wow. people that want to be on the show. There's a very detailed application process of that. And then the people that are selected are actually paying a $3,500 appearance fee to be a guest on the show. So when you're investing that kind of dollar amount to be on the show the size of ours, you just make it happen. You know, you make whatever time frame we have available. And so I just essentially send them my scheduling link, which is giving them a lot of options, but the options are Thursdays, you know, from the hours of 1 to 5 p.m. essentially. And we almost never have any kind of pushback. People are just booking the dates and uh, send their calendar and they're showing up ready to go. Talk to me about the appearance fee. That's really interesting. Was that something you had at the very beginning? Is it something you added? And what is the rationale behind an appearance fee on a podcast? So for the first six years, we had no appearance fee. It was all yeah. me basically, especially the first year or two, going outbound and trying to get people on the show and working yeah. really hard to find guests to fill up, you know, that high of an inventory of you know, 30-ish episodes every single month and 30 interviews and 30 entrepreneurs month over month. So that was a lot of work to get to that point. But then slowly as year two became year three and the podcast started getting into the high six figures, low seven figures of listens on a month-to-month -month basis, and people knew that it was such a huge audience, the amount of inbound requests started increasing and increasing and, and really has not stopped increasing, um, you know, since that time frame. So again, now our number is well over 400 applications on a month to month wow. basis for, you know, less than 30 spots to be on the show. And so with that kind of supply and demand about four years ago, I said, you know what, I'm going to start just kind of seeing if these are entrepreneurs who really are on fire. Because if you're really successful and if you're asking to come on a show with a big audience, you realize the benefit of having that type of exposure. And that type of exposure is valuable. And mm -hmm. it's not free to run my podcast. I obviously have a team yeah, and yeah. I have, you know, equipment fees and I have hosting fees and I have living expenses and all, the, all this jazz. So I'm like, let's throw a number out there. So I think I started like $1,500 per month and was pretty, sh uh, sorry, per episode, per appearance. And I was pretty shocked at how little uh, pushback I got from that. And because I didn't really know what the response would be. But, you know, I think a lot of these individuals were just like, hey, I mean, 
you know, I spend a lot of money on advertising that I don't even know that works. And now I'm going to be dropping, you know, 1500 bucks on a podcast that gets over 2 million listens per month. And I'm going to be on for 20 or 30 minutes, like getting to share my voice, my message, my book, my project with the world. Like that seems like a pretty fair exchange for, to me. And then I just kind of massaged that number as it made sense. And, you know, eventually it actually got up to like, you know, between four and $5,000 for a while. But then it was pretty obvious to me that that dollar amount was not um, getting, you know, the required. I was look, really looking for like between 20 to 25 appearance fees per month. So like everything in life, whatever business or product or service you're selling, there is a right price point. It's hard to find that if you don't have a high quantity, but I was kind of able to find that, you know, $3,500 just seemed to be the right dollar amount where it was enough where, you know, just the first 30 people weren't just jumping on it. Cause some people are like, John, that's just not really in our budget. And I'm like, totally understands, you know, for an entrepreneur on fire that would be in their budget. So when it is, you know, that you'll be a better fit for the show. So please come back and apply then. But until then, you know, this is a non-negotiable appearance fee. And, you know, now that's one of our, you know, very legitimate revenue streams on a month over month basis. Oh, that's really fascinating. You know, it is, it is a conversation. I've had people offer to pay to be on the podcast. I've never taken it because it sort of follows my curiosity trail. I've never paid to be on a podcast, but that's a, that's a really intriguing business model. How do you, is there ever somebody who wants to pay and you're like, oh no, we're not doing this interview. Oh yeah. Or, well, I mean, yeah. we get, you know, we get the first um, bullet point on the application is mm. I understand if I'm accepted to be a guest on Entrepreneurs on Fire, there's a $3,500 appearance fee. If this is of no interest to you, please do not apply. And so every application we get, that's been the first thing that's been checked off. Um, so essentially everybody who's applying to be on the show knows that that is part of the process of being a guest on the show. And so of those, you know, there's definitely individuals for a lot of reasons. The topic might not be something that I want. You know, I really stay away from anything political and, um, and there's other topics that, you know, we would probably steer away from if it came up. And then I actually do a five minutes chat with every single person before we extend to them the invitation. And sometimes people just have the wrong energy, the wrong vibe. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I just know that it's not going to be a great 20 to 30 minute chat because it's very important, especially for a audio only interview. The energy is going to be there. The vibe is going to be there. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm going to bring the energy. I'm mm -hmm. going to bring the vibe. If the other person's not, it's very mismatched and it leads to a, a really poor conversation. So I have five minute conversations with everybody before we extend them an, an offer, an opportunity to uh, be on the show to make sure they're the right fit. And some people aren't. So they just don't get the offer. Oh, that's good to know because that's totally different than, hey, I put my for sale sign out and whoever wants to pay the money gets on. Yeah, I find that we get pitched. My team tells me about 100 times a week now for people to be on the show. And so very similar, 400 inbound yeah. a month. Very and I mean, we obviously have six slots. So it's very, it usually by the time it gets to me, I'm still really picky because uh, you know, when, when it was clear, when we had a mutual friend who's like, oh, I can introduce you to John Lee Dumas. I'm like, yeah, a hundred percent. I'm all over that. Cause I knew where I wanted to go with you. Uh, so that's, that's really cool that that's how you do it. Let's, yeah. If I were you, yeah. I probably would have like my team, you know, if this was something that you were looking into, mm -hmm. I'd have my team, you know, have like a formed re reply back. And I actually have a, a post eofire.com slash guest 
that's wow. where we send everybody who's interested. So it's a it's a page on my website, and there's a video of me explaining the process, and then there's an application link on that. And you know, for six a month, and you know, you probably would only be wanting at most two or three of those to be appearance fees. You know, I think you're looking at like easily a ten thousand um, dollar number for people to be a guest on your show. And there'd be, you know, as many requirements as you'd want as far as like, you know, this is not a pitch fest. This is a conversation between you and me adding value mm. to the audience. And I always do say, I say at the very end, I am going to give you an opportunity to share a call to action, but it's one call to action at the very end. Um, and that's and the entire conversation up to that point is strictly focused on adding value and being mm. um, a you know, a person of value to the listeners of Entrepreneurs on Fire. Oh, that's that's really good advice. Yeah. I don't know about appearance fees. I'd really have to give that yeah, some thought. Think about but it. I can like, tell you, we have gone be like, to a It'd form. be one of those things where you say, hey, to be a guest on the show as an inbound request is $10,000. And then the requirement is you're going to essentially tell me what is your suggested, you know, title of the show? Mm-hmm. What are your suggested, you know, bullet point conversations? If those are of interest, then you and I are going to jump on a call and we're going to, you know, have a full conversation about, is this going to be the best show and the, and the right fit for my audience? And only then will I potentially extend the final invite to you. Yeah. I think it's really important for a podcaster to have final say about who they have on their show. John Acuff gave me great advice years ago. He just said, it's your show. Do what you want. I'm like, yeah, I think he got that from Brian Koppelman, another <laughs> previous guest. I'm like, you know, that is surprisingly helpful. Uh, how do you do show prep? Because do you just like, do you have an intake form? Because I mean, to prep for eight or nine interviews in a row, I know you use a standard set of questions as well, but can you explain how that works? I think there are a lot of great ways to do show prep. I think there's a lot of fantastic podcast hosts out there that have a lot of great and varied ways that they actually prepare for interviews. For me, I take the approach of, listen, I'm doing a daily show. That's why I don't do video. Just too much Mm -hmm. added bandwidth and energy. That's why I don't do long form for the exact same reason. If I'm going to get to 10 years and 3,700 episodes, there's a certain show and a certain strategy that I need to follow to avoid burnout, to avoid me just no longer enjoying it. Um, And that is for me just saying, you know what? I'm going to see what the title and the bullet points are of the show. I'm going to have a 30-word bio of exactly who the guest is that I'm coming on. And in the minutes leading up to the actual conversation, I'm going to scan the title, the bullet points, the 30-minute bio, and of course, I've worked the week prior with my team on the title and the bullet points. So those, those have all been approved. Mm. The 30 word bio kind of gives me a quick little update reminder of what's going on in this person's world and what they do. And then I jump on the call. And one thing that I kind of look at it as, man, I now know not a ton about this person. And I am coming at this interview from a place of, curiosity where Mm -hmm. I am curious and I let my curiosity go because I do believe that there is, you know, something that a lot of hosts struggle with and that's the curse of knowledge because they know a lot about a topic or about the person or about X, Y, or Z. They have this subconscious assumption that the listeners do as well. And so that curse (laughs) of knowledge can really hurt. Where for me, I have no, you know, illusions of grandeur that I know anything and I just go into the interview, you know, with the very base base of knowledge, ask the questions that I ask. And 
knowing that my listeners who are coming into the interview at a very similar place that I'm coming into the interview are hopefully getting the same questions answered that I have and I'm asking them because they have that same kind of curiosity as well. So that's where my kind of attitude is. It's, it's, you know, it's coming from a lot of different angles. Number one is like, how can I do, you know, prep, but little prep so I'm not overwhelming myself on a daily basis of my interviews from that are going forward, but at the same time, still be coming at each interview from a place of curiosity so that I'm asking the questions that hopefully my audience has so that it can kind of be this interview essentially that like they're able to get the content from my guest through my voice. I think that's really important. I mean, unless you're in a total tech niche or something like that where you can talk shop, it's really important. I think the role of the host is to keep the listener in mind. And I pull from all kinds of fields, everything from university professors to podcasters to entrepreneurs to best-selling authors to the whole deal. And yeah, I probably have read the book or at least skimmed it or whatever. But you want to remember, as Seth Godin says, if you sell a million copies of your book, 99.999% of the people in the world still have no idea who you are. And that is really, really true. Uh, Let's talk more about your workflow. In a typical week where you're at home and not traveling, is it 30 hours, 40 hours, 20 hours? What what does that look like? And what are, just give people, because you have a huge, I mean, I've read your income reports and everything getting ready for today. You have a, a huge variety of things that you offer through Entrepreneurs on Fire to Fire Nation. Yeah, so we've already talked about, you know, the four to five hours, um, four to five hours every Thursday for the actual interview day. And then I would just really add essentially 90 minutes a day on top of that, because that's kind of what my morning work routine looks like. So after I kind of go through, you know, my wake up, walk the dog, smoothie, coffee, I sit down, you know, typically with my laptop on my lap, poolside here in Puerto Rico, and, you know, have about 60 to 90 minutes from going through the different communities that we have, our journal communities on Facebook, our Podcasters Paradise, Facebook community, answering questions and engaging with people, you know, going on email. Email is definitely something that I'm on multiple times per day because, you know, maybe I'm chatting with a potential sponsor or a business partner or an affiliate or fill in the blank. So definitely when it comes to communicating to our communities and via email, I'd add a solid 90 minutes uh, to every single day and that's five days a week. So that'd be, you know, another what, like um, five, eight hours. So I'm probably coming in around 15 hours of like real work a week on the high side. My goodness, that's incredible because you're generating over $2 million a year in revenue and a ridiculous amount of that, like over 2 million of that is, is profit, right? Yeah. So how you have this team you're offering Podcasters Paradise, you've got affiliate links, you've got all this stuff. How do you keep your margins so high? I mean, that's like roughly a 90% profit margin, which is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's so, one thing that we post on the income reports is exactly yeah. what our profit margins are, our net profit to gross income on a month-to-month basis. And we are typically above 80%, and there's been a few months we've actually even been above 90% for our net profits to gross, which... Again, it's something that we've just worked at um, relentlessly for the past 10 years. I mean, there was a time four or five years ago 
where I had 13 people on my team and our profit margins were like 40 to 50 to 60% on any given month. And at that point, we're like, we're just not running the business we want to run. So now, you know, we've just, you know, dropped the things that were, you know, bringing in revenue, but not the kind that we, you know, really justified keeping it on for what it was, you know, taking us energy and, and team size wise. And we just continue to whittle everything down. And we just now have like the core things that are really working for us. We have three full-time virtual assistants. It's myself and Kate. So there's a total of five of us, but myself, Kate, and then three virtual assistants and, you know, an independent contractor. If we need some web website work, an independent contractor, if we need some graphic design, and that's on a case-by-case -case basis. So besides that, like our expenses are very low and, you know, based on just kind of the, the process of, you know, what it means to run a podcasting company, the profit margins are really high. Like when I have a person pay me $3,500 to be a guest in Entrepreneurs on Fire, that's almost 100% profit because it's not really mm -hmm. costing me, you know, barely anything, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis. And the same thing when sponsors come, like, you know, we signed a two-year seven-figure sponsorship deal with HubSpot and, you know, that's almost 100% profits because they are sponsoring the podcast. And so it's just kind of like what it costs to run the podcast, which at this point, because of how dialed in we've got over, over the years, is very reasonable. Yeah. So those VAs would do everything from podcast editing to uh, uploading to Libsyn or wherever yeah, you happen to upload. Media, websites, social media, websites, show notes pages, communicating with our guests, you know, reminders, um, really everything. I mean, if, if, if I'm ever doing something for the business, I'm always asking myself, is this something only I can do? And of course, very rarely the answer is yes. So when the answer is no, which is most of the time, I find a way to outsource it to one of my VAs. So that's a good million dollar question. Literally, maybe a $2 million question. <laughs> what are the things at this point that you say are the things that only you can do? Interview successful entrepreneurs. Hmm. Boom. That's, that's basically it. it. And what does Kate, your partner, do? What does she do in the company? So she is really kind of the glue that, you know, holds everything together because there's only so much you want to outsource to your virtual assistant. So when it comes to like insurance for the business, accounting, like, of course, we have an accountant, but you need the communication going back and forth mm -hmm. and that all lined up, um, you know, managing that team as well. Because, you know, you can have three virtual assistants and they're great because they've been with us for 12, nine and seven years um, you know, the three of them combined. So that's, you know, been a great long term. They know their place, but, you know, they're still managing that, that's involved with that as well. So, you know, Kate also has a lot of great um, personal ventures of her own. Like she has two podcasts that she runs. She's, you know, big into the Podcasters Paradise community. She's always, she's there every morning answering people's questions, you know, started, you know, creating our um, monthly Q&As that we have and doing all the kind of back end stuff. So she's really the glue that kind of holds everything together with the business where I'm really just kind of showing up to be the voice in the face. Wow. Are there any parts of that that you missed or thought you were good at at one point? Because this is the reason I want to ask it a different way is this is such a challenge for a lot of leaders because we get our fingers in all kinds of pieces of the pie and we end up capping our growth, not scaling, et cetera. So can you walk us through a little more of that journey? Because maybe it was easy for you, but it's hard for a lot of people. And I would include myself in that category. Yeah, for me, it was actually easy because 
by nature, I'm a very lazy person. <laughs> so I can work really, really hard when I know that by me working hard, there's a future JLD that gets to be really lazy. And that's kind of been the story <laughs> of my life is that I was able to work super hard for like the first few years of Entrepreneurs on Fire, like put in like 50, 60, 70 hour weeks on a you know very consistent basis because I knew there was a future JLD in Puerto Rico by the pool you know, being able to be very, very lazy. And that's exactly where I've gotten to. I mean, I could, I could wow. easily take on more tasks and work harder and, and make more money in, in this venture or that venture. But at this stage in my life, like I just don't want to. So it's always been easy for me to give up tasks because I don't like to micromanage. Um, mm. I really like to have essentially nothing on my plates. You know, like Kate and I kind of it's, it's like a conversation we have like every single day. It's like, we're, we're kind of having dinner and we're enjoying, you know, a nice sunset over the Caribbean. And we just kind of like, you know, say like, hey, so what do you have going on tomorrow? And like, when she asked me that question, I love pulling up, pulling open my calendar, you know, looking at my phone, pulling up Google Calendar and literally saying, Kate, like I have nothing on my calendar. <laughs> like I have nothing on my calendar tomorrow. And Whenever I say that, like, I am proud to say that and I am happy to say that. Whereas I know a lot of people in this world, they're just like prideful of packing their calendar with every single thing they could possibly do. And by the way, I do that occasionally because it makes sense. Like, you know, I'll mm -hmm. even kind of like show you like a screenshot of my day today. As you see, it's like, boom, yeah, it's back to packed. back to back to back. You know, that's, that's one day a month. One day a month I have reserved in the afternoon for a block of interviews and other shows. That's one day per month. So now I'm back to back to back, um, you know, and 97% and of those shows are 15 minutes long because that's the cap that I have. So oh. that's, you know, it's one day a month that I have blocked in the afternoon where it's packed. Then of course, those four, those four Thursdays are pretty busy from one to five, one to six. And then besides that, my calendar needs to be almost empty. If it's not, you know, there might be one other day that I just jam it up full of things that, you know, I need to take care of, like chats with sponsorships or, mm. you know, health coach or whatever it might be. But for me, it's like batching or nothing. Yeah. So thank you for being generous with your time. Cause I thought, I bet you were going to get 20 minutes with John Lee Dumas. I know that you work in small uh, increments. Whatever you're so. paying your assistant, it's a good dollar amount. Cause she was pretty uh, adamant that this was going to uh, be a, a 45 plus. Probably minute. working with oh. Carly. She's, <laughs> she's pretty amazing. She is great. Um, let me, let me uh, ask you, you must be very good at saying no, because in addition to inbound guests, you probably have all kinds of business partners and ventures and people who want to pick your brain and all of that stuff. Have you developed a template for saying no or deciding which inbound opportunities you're going to jump on and which ones you're just going to like put up the wall and say, uh-uh, I like my mornings. I want to have a, a day with nothing on it. Like that is another thing that's extremely difficult for a lot of people. For me, it's really the Derek Sivers mentality yeah. of if it's not a heck yes, it's a no. And right. for me, most things are not a heck yes. So it's an easy, easy no. I actually, you know, most people are people pleasers and I'm, mm -hmm. I never have been. And I actually don't have a problem just saying no. And a lot of times that kind of shocks people and kind of takes them aback because they're just like, well, you're saying no. I'm like, yeah, like you're asking me for my time, for my energy. 
And I'm saying, no, is, is that a problem? <laughs> and then it's like, well, I guess if you put it that way, not really. So I have an easy time saying no. Um, it's really the reason why I've built the kind of business that I have. And I get why a lot of people say yes to a lot of things. And I think there is a, a, a season and a stage in your life when you should, because you don't know what's going to come from that yes. Um, yeah. But at some point, you know, you've got to say, I've accomplished a lot of things. You know, my time is becoming more valuable. My energy is becoming more valuable. I've got to jump on the no train. And something that, you know, has really helped me over the years is when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to all the other things that you could possibly be doing at that time. So you're not just saying mm -hmm. yes to one thing. You're you're literally saying no to countless opportunities. So when you kind of put it that way, you're like, well, I don't want to say yes to something I'm kind of mediocre, mediocre about because <laughs> then I'm technically saying no to something that could come up between now and then that's unbelievably amazing. And And I've actually been burned by that a few times. It's really hammered home the truth. Yeah, I think we've all gotten to that point where we said yes in April because April was empty. And then you get another opportunity that you're like, oh, I can't do that now because I said yes to this thing. That exactly. Look good. Um, when you say no, because this is this is a sort of a perennial theme on this podcast because it's a challenge for so many leaders and for myself. It led me to burnout 17 years ago, not saying hmm. no. And I've been in recovery for 17 years since then, gotten a lot better at it. But I found the more things grow and this podcast grows every year, the more inbound we get. And I still say no 90, 95% of the time to everything that comes in. However, it keeps seeming to increase. And of course, the quality of the offers, like something that you would have said heck yes to 10 years ago is now probably a no. Have you found by being so disciplined that the amount of inbound requests have dropped or is it a steady stream that continues to flow in. I'm just wondering if you get a reputation for just saying no all the time, whether eventually people stop asking. No, it's still steady. Cause I think even if you do get that reputation, you know, people yeah. want to be that person that breaks through because then it's even more of a valuable yes <laughs> when you get it. Yeah. Um, and so they, they just keep coming in and, you know, I just happily, you know, keep saying no in a very, you know, kind and respectful way. And, mm -hmm. you know, then there may be a time like, you know, when I, when I go back to those individuals, if I'm like, releasing a book like a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, I published yeah. my first tra traditionally published book. And so I went to a lot of people that I said no to over the years and said, hey, listen, I totally understand if if you're a no now, and that's totally your prerogative, but you know, I'm going into major promotion mode. I've opened my entire January, February, March. If you want to just book any time that works for you, like my entire calendar is open, like let's do this. And I did 372 interviews over the course of three months. Like it was <laughs> mayhem. I did nothing but, and it was a very intense time, uh, but enjoyable at the same time. I mean, man, I, I woke up in, you know, in the middle of the night, like just repeating, you know, my little spiel <laughs> that I had answer. going on there. Uh -huh. And um, it was it was a fun time, but uh, no. So and really to answer your question, they, they keep on coming and, you know, it really goes back to 2012 when, you know, my mentor and my mastermind coach both said, John, like, you're never going to find enough guests to be on Entrepreneurs on Fire. They just don't mm -hmm. exist. Like, they were so wrong. I mean, every day, <laughs> you know, I'm getting more people requesting to be on the show than I could have on in the entire month um, because just the world that we live in. And, and that's an awesome world to be a part of.
That's incredible. I want to talk about your book, which is great, by the way. It's called The Common Path to Uncommon Success. And uh, it's everything you have taught over the years, which is great. And have Beautifully learned. and have learned, put together in a couple hundred pages. Uh, why did you go major publisher on this? Why did you not just self-publish? Because I noticed on your income report, just to finish the question, uh, you've actually got revenue coming back. So you either sold a ton of copies or you had a low advance. Or I want to know, because you're very transparent mm. with this stuff, the details of the book deal, why a major publisher, how that became profitable for you, et cetera. So I did the self-publishing route um, three times prior. I, I launched yeah. the Freedom Journal in 2016, the Mastery Journal in 2017, and the Podcast Journal in 2019. And the Freedom Journal did $453,000 in 33 days. The Mastery wow. Journal did $280,000 in 33 days. And the Podcast Journal, we did not do a Kickstarter campaign. We just sold it. It's actually now sold out. Like it just completely sold out. It's gone. And we're actually not, we're not doing a reprinting, which could be another conversation wow. if we want to have it. But anyways, sure. um, I decided I just wanted to try something different. And I wasn't committed mm. to going the traditional route, but I got a, an agent and she was able to get together all the big publishers and um, they started a bidding war and I kind of was enjoying the bidding war, seeing that, oh, you know, fun. that advance yeah. go up, up and up. <laughs> and even then I wasn't committed to doing that route, but I was just still kind of like just seeing where we got to. And then finally, uh, HarperCollins came at us with a $350,000 um, advance with $80,000 in promised marketing on top of that. So essentially like oh, wow. a $430,000 kind of package. And I said, you know, I, I know I could sell a lot of copies going the self-publishing route, but, you know, to get essentially almost half a million dollars guaranteed up front, because of course, this was actually even before I wrote the book. Um mm -hmm this would be good. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to work with a traditional publisher to see what they bring to the table, editing wise and marketing wise and everything else, you know, getting it into, you know, traditional bookstores like Barnes and Noble and, mm -hmm. you know, fill in the blank. So those are like all the reasons why I went with a traditional publisher, um, ended up not being, um, something that I would do again. Um, you can, you know, read between the lines or ask me direct questions because mm -hmm. I'm happy to talk about it. I think HarperCollins is wonderful. They have amazing yep. human beings that work there, but I mean, it was not an experience that added, you know, to the book. Uh, you know, it was, it was something that, you know, looking back at it, I, I would likely go the self-publishing route and just- Can you tell me why? Because I'm right control. at that point. This is like the podcaster asking questions for himself personally. I had a two book deal with Penguin Random House. Again, great editors, love the editing process. They did their best, but I'm seriously thinking about self-publishing next time. And I'm curious, pros and cons, why would you not go traditional publishing in the future? Really, the only pro is if you get a, a huge advance. To me, yeah. that's really the only pro to just have money in the pocket. Um, everything else, you know, you can, you can just go a, a self-publishing route and just have more control over everything, you know, the, mm. like, I was thinking maybe the editor is going to bring like a lot of value to the book, like, in my case, that didn't happen. Maybe the marketing team's gonna have these really cool ideas that didn't happen. They actually ended up giving me what ended up being bad advice on certain areas. So mm. I I would just say, hey, you know, if you've got an audience, you know what you're doing, like take control of the process and just make it happen. 
Yeah. Have you done, well, I'm sure you have done the math versus the number of copies you sold and how much you made through a traditional versus how much you would have made if you sold that many copies. You know, I actually have not published. done the math. Oh, you have I not? I, oh. I don't think it'd be that difficult to do the math for obvious reasons, but um, uh -huh. I was just like, you know what, Let's, there's, there's uh, no need to to rub my face game. in it either way. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with the dollars that I, the broad, the, the book is brought in. And yeah. it's for me, the bigger picture for the book, and this is true, is, you know, for years I have people come to me and they're just like, John, you know, I would just love for you to answer this question that I have. And of course, ask this question. It's a very mm -hmm. personal question. And for me, it's just like, I'm either going to spend like an hour plus with this individual, which I can't do because of all the questions that I get. Um, or I just have to tell them, I, I, I can't answer your question because this is like, it's just too much time, energy, and bandwidth for one person when, you know, I'm getting tens, if not hundreds of these questions on a, on a monthly basis. Now to every single person, I can just respond back. The answer is here. The common path to uncommon success. Take it, read it, and prosper. Yeah, I'm the same way. I was getting so many questions, so much inbound. And now I have, I think, eight courses as of this month. And I've got several books and a lot of the answers are in there. And it's just so easy. And if someone's self-motivated, they can find it in there. And then if they want to totally. have a really meaningful discussion after, talk about the, was it the uh, podcasting journal? You said we can come back to it, that you stopped producing it. What's what's the backstory there? Yeah, there's really no backstory uh, beyond mm. the fact that, you know, we did a, a run of 10,000 and yeah. it just sold out fairly quickly. And Kate and I just kind of have decided that we're just kind of getting out of the physical product game. You know, one of the reasons mm. we're in Puerto Rico um, and none of that income can be actually considered under the Puerto Rico Tax Act, which is a whole other conversation. So, I mean, we're actually, you know, paying pretty hefty taxes on that, not to mention like storage and shipping. And there's mm -hmm. just a lot that's involved with physical products. So, you know, we're letting the Freedom Journal, the Mastery Journal slowly sell out as well. And, you know, um, in a few years, we'll um, be out of the physical product game. And probably at about that time, we'll have some other brilliant idea for a physical product and jump right back in it. Okay. A couple of quick questions before we wrap up. Starting in 2012, 2013, I've had this conversation with Brian Clark here on Copy Blogger. You know, I'm sure you know Brian. And uh, anyway, we all got started around the same time. If you were starting out today, what do you tell, like what has changed and what is the same? Well, I'll start with what's the same. The same is the people that win at a high level create the number one solution to a real problem. If you create the number one solution to a real problem, you win. Um, what's changed? You've got to be more niche now. Like in 2012, you could launch a podcast interviewing entrepreneurs and succeed, which I did. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurs on Fire launched in 2022, 2023, 2024. That does not win. It's just, it's too vague. It's too broad. There's too much saturation. You need to niche your flipping face off. That's mm -hmm. where you win. Okay, so if you were launching today, what would it be? Um, entrepreneurs of six-figure businesses, entrepreneurs in a particular field, would it be something different? Any idea on what it you would do? It would probably be something in the health space, just because that's where my passions are really aligned right now. And it would be on one like really pain point topic. And that it could be something like a podcast that's only focus on sleep, like just on sleep mm. or 
only focused on, you know, male fertility. I mean, it would be something that's like yeah. really, really, you know, niched. And it would just become the best podcast on that topic. One of the great fears, of course, from people is that if they niche down that much, they're going to miss 99.999% of the population. But it's- And as Seth Godin says, 99.99% will never care anyway. So you're <laughs> even going, in, you're going after people who you're never going to get anyways. Right, right. Any other tips for entrepreneurs or people who want to start a side hustle about starting today? Honestly, let's just keep it simple with the theme that if you're able to identify and create the number one solution to a real problem, you will win. That's great. Okay. Tell us where people can find you and what you're doing online these days. Well, all the magic happens at eofire.com. A lot of free courses for entrepreneurs there. Great newsletter. Um, check out the podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, at any podcast listening app that you so desire. And it's been great chatting with you, Carrie. It's been great chatting with you too, John. Thank you so much. Adios. Adios. So I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did, even though we're not selling interviews on this podcast, but thank you. That was a good tip. Hey, if you've got one and you think it works for you, uh, that is a new category in my head. Uh, for us, we're going to continue to invite guests on for free and uh, curate these guests really carefully. So I uh, just want you to know that just in case, you know, stop the emails, that kind of thing. It's like, what? No, no, it's just not my MO. Anyway, you can get everything we talked about including all the links, by going to the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 558. You will access everything there, including free transcripts. We want to make this so easy for you so we kind of do it all for you. And we want to thank our partners. My Art of Leadership Academy is offering you something for free, the free preaching cheat sheet. Go to preachingcheatsheet.com and get your copy of my free 10-step preaching cheat sheet. It's absolutely yours at preachingcheatsheet.com. Say that 10 times fast. Ah, that was a lot. Okay, and don't miss out on the opportunity to revolutionize how your church communicates. Go to get.glue.us slash texting, and you will get free access to a texting platform for your church thanks to Glue. That's get.glue.us slash texting. Well, next episode, we've got Ben Higgins on the podcast. He, you know, I wondered about whether we should do this interview. He was a bachelor. I've never seen The Bachelor as a show. And uh, man, I'm so glad we did. I learned so much. The conversation was so fascinating. So give it a listen. I would agree. I don't think fame's a bad thing. I don't think it's necessarily an evil thing. I think there's a lot of good that comes from having a platform and having a voice. But I don't know if there's any human that I've ever met, no matter how famous or not, or how long they've been famous, that knows how to handle it. I haven't met one person who's like, yeah, yeah this, is how you, this is how you tread this water. It's easy. That's coming up next time. Also coming up on the podcast, what have we got? We've got uh, Gretchen Rubin, Mark Batterson, Will Gadara. If you are into restaurants or watch The Big Brunch, you're going to love that. Caitlin Beatty. Who else have we got coming up? We've got Michael and Megan Hyatt. We've got Sherelle Jackson, Paula Ferris. Michael Bungay-Stanier is going to come back. Chris Hodges, Henry Cloud, and a whole lot more. That's all coming up on the podcast. I'm so excited for it, friends. And if you subscribe, you get it all for free and automatically, and I would love for you to do that. And if this really meant a lot to you, please give John Lee Dumas a shout out on social and maybe share the episode with a friend. So 
As we wrap up, I want to tell you, outreach is one of the most common topics that comes up when I'm coaching and training church leaders. And even though a lot of churches are seeing growth right now, the truth is you can reach a lot more people and not one size fits all. So the art of reaching is my online course. I co-lead it with Mark Clark, very different communicator, very different strategy than me, but that's because one size doesn't fit all. So the principles and strategies in the art of reaching, which we include in the Art of Leadership Academy, will help you set the foundation for your outreach. Plus with Easter right around the corner, I have got a bonus Easter outreach toolkit if you act now. You'll get a step-by-step outreach and follow-up plan with ready-to-use templates for invitation cards, invite cards for your church, invitation emails and texts, follow-up emails and texts, and a whole lot more, plus three of my own Best Connecting Easter series, including outlines, and then for one of them, we're giving you the whole thing, transcripts, graphics, everything. Not that you have to use it, but it could be a great starting point for you. You get all that at no extra cost if you join before March 15th. So sign up at the Art of Reaching course and make sure you choose the Art of Leadership Academy option at checkout. That's theartofreachingcourse.com. Join before March 15th. You will get the Easter toolkit for free. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. It's been a joy to be able to do this with you. And I hope our time together today has helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.